Steam launched as a uh, in as a patching a client for Half Life Two in two thousand four. Yeah. yeah, so back in two thousand four, a million in years ago. I know this because my Steam account is from the week that Steam came into existence. <laughs> Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 397 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the webs programmer. I'm Sam and I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is January 6th, 2023. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity in this show, uh, which is, it's going to be a great time. So... Uh, you know, just a w- pre-warning. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, oh yeah, also, we'd like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. And we have a donation from Scaleplexus, who we haven't heard from in a while. It's been a while. Uh, so it's great to hear from Scaleplexus, who says, can't wait for next year's tagline. Thought I'd help you get started. 2023, empty plenty tea. <laughs> So just kind of a just Empty kind of a rallying tea. cry to just chug lots of tea, yeah. <laughs> which it's a, it's a bottomless teacup. I think I feel like I feel like if you were already doing that, that was already kind of your plan, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you're if you're if you're not, I think it's a tough transition to make, you know. Yeah, I mean, if you depend on something like coffee for your caffeine intake, you do actually have to empty plenty of tea in order to sort of you know mm-hmm. make it equivalent. Caffeine. It's like a four to one or three to one or something yeah. like that. It depends on the because some of the teas get get pretty up there. Um, That's true. But, but some of their coffees get even more up there. You know, they so, get very up there. Yeah. yeah, I think there's a there's an overlap in there. You know, depending on what you're into. But yeah, it's on average. Fortunately, coffee and tea both rhyme, so it could just be twenty instead of twenty twenty three empty plenty of tea. Just could be twenty twenty three empty plenty coffee, you know, mm-hmm. that yeah. also works. Yeah. Whatever you need to do, just get jazzed. Get uh, totally. get that caffeine yeah, going through. The coffee doesn't feel as good as a rhyme, though, because the, the you know, the emphasis is on the cough and yeah. not the fee. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't feel as good. 2023 empty plenty coffee. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> how about that? You can put the emphasis wherever you want, you know. Like, this, is, this is America. This <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, uh, all right. Well, we got, let's the first our first order of business on this episode is to name the new year. It's 2023 now. We got to name it and figure out what this year is going to what's be the about. And for those newer to the podcast, if you haven't been with us for what's it been six years now, um, you're a little late. I can't, I can't remember. When we, what did we start doing? I don't remember. But for at least the past some number of years, um, we try to set the the mood of the new year with some kind of a slogan that we can, we can rally behind, but well, there's enough wiggle room for, you know, personal interpretation, but something you can kind of use as a, as a pillar to yeah. shape the year. I don't think this was the first time, um, but 20 great teen. Oh, that definitely happened. Was, was the one that really like, it felt like, you know what? Yeah. That was pretty great. Like mm-hmm. we said, 20 great teen is going to be a great year. We actually named the robot in Levelhead GR18, great yep. teen, uh, af- after the year, uh, which was that the year that we, yeah, that's, the year year that we that's the year that we started working on Levelhead. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also the year that we started figuring out like DevOps and it yeah, was, yeah, good. It was got a good one. Got an off. Was that the year we got the office? Yeah. 
Yeah, we're, we're, just we're like, in the know, office for a year and a half. I can't remember what that straddled exactly, but 2018. Was, no, yeah, 2018. Yeah. That, it yeah. ended, you know, with COVID. Uh, as oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so like we we've had we've had these over the years, uh, and so uh, now we got to figure out what's this. What's 2023 going to be about? So last episode we threw down some ideas, including things like 2023, get out in nature. Uh, 2020p, stay hydrated. Which goes well with the T one. It does. Drinking bottomless tea. It's going to be. 2020t, 2020p, stay hydrated, drink lots of tea, (laughs) keep that stream clear. 2020p, drink so much tea. That you're peeing. That you're peeing tea. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Or, or 2020 Yeah, get into physical therapy. Let's yeah, just take good. care of that body. <laughs> yeah, I was yesterday. It's great. Good yeah. stuff. Uh, we also got some suggestions from the community, including uh, Beaky Bapa Boop suggested 2020B or 2020 Key with no further explanation uh, other than that there's no personal interest involved in Beaky. And really? Or Key for Beaky Bapa Boop. Yeah. Uh, 2020B is a good one, though, because it's, uh, you know, either you interpret it as B-E-E, which is like, hey, let's make sure the Bs are, are good. This is true. You know, yep. they're having a hard time lately. Uh, I mean, as as are many of us. But let's take care of the Bs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or plant some beef or, or favorite bushes. Or keep some bees. Become, become, become a beekeeper. Become a beekeeper. A beekeeper. A beekeeper. A beekeeper. Per. Uh, Just don't be a bee key, a bee key peer. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, you don't want to do that. Bee yeah. keys. Alternatively, not good uh, for. Peer. Nope. Twenty twenty key. You know, it's just, hey, lock it up, uh, just bunker down, stay mm-hmm. stay hidden from society, build walls, yep. you know? 2020 yeah, key, yourself. don't let anyone in. Yep. That, uh, would have been, that would have been much better for 2020. Although, that's the reality true. of the situation <laughs> we didn't actually know in advance changed though. since 2020. <laughs> yeah. So what yeah. was this year too? What was the theme of 2020? I can't even remember. 2020. There were pl- there was plenty. Plenty there was of things lot. did happen. Really too much. <laughs> yeah. 20, 20 too much. We've uh, talked about how happened. this is a monkey's paw situation most yeah, of the time. Yeah, that's why you got to be careful with it. Don't can't know be what too you're specific. Asking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and we also got a, a note from just Chris who said the year should be 2020 re least Crashlands 2 because we were hyped for it. Um, <laughs> which... That's a good one. Uh, no. It's a but good like suggestion, it. but yeah. it's not catchy enough though. I think is the problem. That's not that's not currently the plan. If well, it changes, you know, we'll let mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also that I, it feels like, I'll correct me if I'm wrong. It feels like that's something that probably only we can do, you know? Yeah. And that yeah, it would yeah. be it's hard for everybody else. <laughs> it would be hard for everybody else to really well, you know, although, technically. I've, yeah, if I've learned anything. Everybody else can participate if we do a Kickstarter because mm-hmm. the way that you make games faster, right? Because is by getting way more it's people, by getting involved. way more people, <laughs> yeah. that's my yep, 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 and yep. spending lots of time uh, doing a media campaign, yeah, and sort of reallocating all your development time into that. Uh, all right, so I think where we're landing is we want to do twenty jubilee, okay. Mm-hmm. Now, one downside of 20 Jubilee, it doesn't have a 2020-something in it, so it's a little bit harder to parse as the year, you know. But I think it's got a good message, which is, what's a Jubilee? A Jubilee is a forgiveness of debts, okay? Uh, I believe the the original concept was it was like, I don't know, every seven years or something. All debts are wiped clean. As it turns out, 
that causes most financial markets and society to sort of collapse and cease to function. Yeah. Uh, we wouldn't know anything uh, about that, would we? Everybody no. in the world right now. <laughs> so you can't really just like, you know, take out loans and then just suddenly wipe the debt clean and just say like, I'm not paying this back anymore because it's That's jubilee. That's bankruptcy. Yeah. It's not usually very uh, good for you. Yeah. But what's the, what's, so what's the real idea behind 20 Jubilee? It's, it's stay Get ahead of it. Getting rid of baggage. Get rid of your baggage. Uh, any any problems that you think might be coming down the road that you actually have the capability of staying ahead of, stay ahead of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a I have a story from a while ago. Get rid of which I did. Don't accumulate it. Yeah, which I did talk about on the podcast. Uh, which was my hypersensitive tooth that I had from from a long time. I stopped drinking hot things. I stopped eating cold things, etc. Because uh, my tooth just hurt for a long time, and I just ignored it. I could have, I could have, you know, pushed to go to the dentist and get it fixed or whatever, you know. Um, but I didn't. I was just like, eh, I'll put up with this, right? And then one day, my tooth decided, well, it's time. And then it was just searing nonstop pain for days and days. And I was driving around town in a cold sweat, screaming, trying to find someone who would do a root canal, like, right now, on right the now. spot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, like, come to oh my boy. car, just rip, rip this root mm-hmm. thing out by his roots. Yeah. Uh, oh, boy. So that was, that was a couple of the worst days of my life. <laughs> uh, all because, I, you know, I had a problem that... I just decided it was too, you know, it was just too inconvenient to uh, to deal with it, you know, up front. Mm-hmm. And this is the same like Adam was talking about, the idea of tech debt. So we just saw Southwest Airlines completely yeah. implode, uh, which Adam, I think you know some stuff about if you want to talk about like what happened with Southwest yeah, I was, Airlines. I was reading about it to get a sense of it because my wife and I like always take Southwest everywhere because it's just- Yeah, we're always like, oh, Southwest is great. Cheap, fast, Turns easy. Out, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so they've been- <laughs> They, they've been, and this is actually true of airlines in general because those, the the systems, the computer systems that they use to like keep track of airplanes and do all that stuff, right, are like they have to work, right, and they have to mm-hmm. keep working. And so, if you've ever tried to like upgrade a system, you know, and go from not having that system to having that system like live, right, it's one of the most difficult and things, right? Yeah, the trend, the transitioning between systems. Yeah. Is and now imagine you know. doing that for you know an airline where nobody. Ugh. Everybody has to stay alive after you've done this, right? So, so understandably, airlines uh, are very slow to uh, do any sort of technology adoption, but in particular for their like core infrastructure, right? So, Southwest, same deal, and and then of course they're they're publicly traded companies. So even when they could have done such a thing, it wouldn't look good for their bottom line in the short term, and so then they don't, right? And so so then we end up in situations like this. Um, and there's also, this is the second time, because it was also last, like same you said, October or something. Yes. They had a similar meltdown, but it wasn't over the same busy uh, travel period, so it wasn't as bad of a meltdown and also didn't impact quite as many people. So they, they saw that, you know, they had the tooth pain. Yeah. And they were like, uh, years. this probably isn't an issue. Well, I, hope this, knew, I hope this just resolves itself. Yeah, and they <laughs> knew this was a problem because like it had, mm-hmm. it had created issues, I mean, literally for like a decade or whatever, right? They have internal memos about it from like yeah. two weeks before. It's like Christmas. well understood for like all of Southwest Airlines that, that that system is rickety and bad and like on the verge of collapse, right? But they just haven't done anything about it because it's really hard and really expensive. So 
So then this this December hits. Actually, I'll just describe like how it happened because like the details of then what happened are like horrifying and chaotic. Long story short, <laughs> every fucking flight was it was, it was like two thousand or twenty thousand. I don't know some huge He's number of flights yeah. had to get canceled. Uh, they had stranded their own personnel like all over the place as well as all of their passengers. Right, and then because personnel who were trying to fill in couldn't uh, actually get they couldn't get places. Yep, the call center and. Used. Yeah. Ultimately, it's costing them $825 million estimated. Mm-hmm. In about half of that is in just refunded tickets. Yeah. Uh, and then the rest is in all kinds of like penalties and legal fees mm-hmm. and uh, all kinds of like just random bullshit that comes with every system you have collapsing yeah. and then all the collateral damage of cleaning. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's the immediate cost, right? The long term cost yeah. is different. It's yeah. even more, right? Yeah, because people so, don't trust it as much anymore. Like, all, there's yeah. all kinds of stuff, right? And, there, and there's going to be lawsuits inevitably. But the other thing, too, is that it could have cost me more than it did because you actually have a lot more rights on airplanes than you are aware of because mm-hmm. airlines don't you know, want to make that stuff obvious, right? So, but there's actually like a lot of details for like what's required of them if they like cancel your flight or all these kinds of things, right? And of course, if you agree to do something else, then no, they don't have to, right? Yeah. But if people had gotten for the maximum, uh, like basically recovery from all the stuff that happened, like they probably would have destroyed the company completely. I would bet. So anyway, so what happens? So here's here's the structure. So how did it of go their down? System, right. Uh, and the long story short is they have no slack. But yes. here's why. Here's the design of the system. So all the other airlines basically operate on a hub and spoke model where they have their main hubs, like the, the huge airports, right? And they tend to fly between hubs or from a hub to a small airport, back to another hub, right? And the nice part about this model is that at the hubs, there are lots of pilots, lots of uh, airline steward staff, like everybody's there and lots of lots of airplanes, right? So it's a problem if the hub gets hit, right? Which we see all the time with like Chicago. Like right? a blizzard. Like a blizzard, right? right? Yeah. And, that, and you can see that then cascade through the whole network and like kind of fuck everything up, right? And so that's why you'll be like, oh, I need to go to... You're traveling somewhere. The weather's totally fine, but you can't because Chicago had a blizzard, right? So, <laughs> right. so that's also a fragile system, but it can recover really quickly, right? It's like as soon as the blizzard is gone, they got a million airplanes. they got a million personnel, right? And so they can really quickly recover. Um, but the model that Southwest Airlines uses, like the niche that it fills, is like between smaller airports. And so – It's basically a distributed versus a centralized system. Yeah. And the and, same strengths and weaknesses you – Right, because the distributed system in theory is more robust because impacting one node doesn't cascade through, right? And that would be that could be that w- true. That would be true if you <laughs> if you manage those resources appropriately, right? Um, so if the, if the resources could self allocate to resolve right. issues in other nodes, because if they can't, then it's actually just as fragile anyway. Because still something breaking one place eventually cascades. Oh, well, it's not even group. just as fragile. It's far worse. Well, yeah, it's a lot worse. Yeah. <laughs> when, it, when, it, when it does hit that that point where like it breaks, then it like really, really breaks. And so because all these airplanes are like all over the place and there aren't a lot of like extra pilots, extra airplanes, there are extra staff around. Um, then so like what happens if, you know, this airline, this, this plane gets stuck here and it's the only one, right? But it can leave seven hours later, except seven hours later, the only staff you had were the ones on that plane. And they've already worked their full shift. And by union rules, they can't work until the next day, right? 
Well, that plane's delayed until tomorrow then. And if that one was delayed until tomorrow and you don't have anybody to fill it, right, then this other one's now going to get delayed too because it was assuming that those pilots would be there, right? And it's just like it just keeps on cascading because there's no slack in the whole system. But the reason that they couldn't self like self heal as a system was because the the scheduling tool that they use to figure out like where their planes and their pilots and their staff are right is just assumes that they are where the schedule says they're supposed to be. As in, like if I'm scheduled to fly a plane from here to Dallas, and that, so that I'm supposed to be in Dallas at 5 p.m. The assumption is then just I'm in Dallas now if it's 5 p.m., right? So if something happens Whether at 1 or not p.m., the flight went there, right? And so, so the schedule doesn't – so if you say like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm sick or my flight was canceled or whatever, mm-hmm. there is no automatic update yeah. so that you, cascades you through have the to rest call. of the system. Yeah, so you have to like – you as a pilot, right, or whatever, like if you know that your schedule is changing – um, even though somebody else should be able to infer that. And by somebody else, I mean a fucking computer, right? <laughs> yeah, not somebody that. else, actually. So yeah. <laughs> automatically, then instead you have to place a human phone call to humans at a switchboard at like Southwest HQ, right? And say, hey, here's where I actually am, where I'm actually going to be or whatever, right? So the well, thing this about- is the, This is where the plot thickens even further because- because yeah, the thing about human stuff- full too. Yeah, is that it also, it does not scale well at all, right? Because like- it's really hard. It's already hard to design like a automated system to scale well, um, especially if it's if it's ends up having to scale beyond what you expected, right? But it's way more expensive and way harder to design a human centric system because people are just way more expensive than machines, um, at least in the software space. And mm-hmm. so, so they of course are running at like a minimum staff required, basically, right, to do the normal stuff. And they might even have staffed up for the holidays because of course that's going to be periodic, right? But they certainly didn't do it enough to account for the fact that like the like half the country was in like a severe weather snap, right? That that slowed down and like and canceled or stopped like I don't even know like thirty percent of all flights or some insane thing, right? And they absolutely did not have enough slack to then manage that. And so like their own pilots, their own staff were having like eight hour wait times trying to call to say like, here's where I Just actually am, right? Yeah. And but also, <laughs> or of course, like to be able to fill in. That's the crazy part. Yeah, like they couldn't, they, they couldn't fill in even when they had people. Yeah. yeah they couldn't fill mm-hmm. in because uh, they couldn't like – because they couldn't actually organize to make things work. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they're, they're straining because like their pilots and staff are supposed to have places to – you know, hotels get put up in and stuff. But again, it's all a manual process where they would call in and they'd be like, oh, I can't get there. So that person would be like, oh, let me like get you a hotel room and get you over there or whatever, right? And so like all these airline personnel are like renting their own, like renting cars from the airport that they're in to like drive back home or to their next airport or whatever to try to like fill in the gaps. And all, also like people are trying to do it too. Because another thing is that the other major airlines – Part of what makes them more expensive, too, is that they also have deals with each other that they pay for that say, like, oh, if one of our flights gets fucked and you have a flight going to the same place, we can just give our passengers to you. Our passengers. And yeah. you'll take them, right, without, like, having to do ticketing stuff, right? So they actually have a collaborative self-healing process, too, so that if one airline has a problem, but not all of them, right, then they can kind of they can kind of bleed off some of the problem just by mm-hmm. cooperation. Yeah, but Southwest doesn't have that deal with anybody, so they have to solve all problems themselves, right? And they just have no slack at all <laughs> to do any of it. So, <laughs> so then collectively, the system just got to the point where, and, and you'll see this like, like I've had this happen on like a server that I was running too um, in the earlier days of Rumpus, where 
uh, when I first launched it, it was just going great. It seemed to be perfect, you know? And then it would just like die every, like once a day, just like die, right? And I was like, why? Because like I'm looking at it and most of the time, it's just like idling, doing just, it's just, just doing fine. fine, right? And then I finally saw it. And it was basically because there was some request that would take a little while. And mm. because it would take a little while, that even though normally, like it's chugging through like a thousand requests a minute or whatever, right? Those ones would kind of hang stuff up a bit. So if it got enough of them in a row, then it would start to queue up. And as soon as the queue got long enough, then it couldn't even take more things into the queue. And then all of a sudden, all the CPU gets loaded, and all of a sudden the whole thing crashes, and now it's down, right? And then it comes back, and all those requests are gone. <laughs> they didn't exist. And so it, like, recovers instantly because it basically threw a bunch of information away, right? But you see this in, like, in any system where there comes a point where that system in its, in its current design, whatever it is, just it's scale. not that it just gets worse slowly, yeah, right. it's a, it ceases to function. It said it completely, completely ceases to function, right? Which is also yeah. what we're seeing with like late stage capitalism right now, right? It's just we're at that point where it's not just slowly getting worse. We're at the point where it's starting to collapse. It's rapidly it's getting worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta yeah. have slack. Yeah. So so then ultimately Southwest, so it, you know, this has been an ongoing problem that they've been aware of for decades, actually. Um and their strategy has always just been, uh, well, it would be expensive to update our scheduling software, which is, I guess, from the 90s or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be really hard to you know, make sure that we come up with a new scheduling system that works and then trans- transition all of our stuff over to it. It's just a big undertaking. Uh, and, and so far, we haven't had any catastrophes. Yeah, we've had some hiccups here and there, right? Um but as long as, you know, nothing catastrophic happens in, in lots of places at the same time, then we yep. can just kind of take kind the hit of, yeah. every now and then, right? And so, well, the, like you said, it's, you know, but it's wild because, like, yeah, it is true that – because if – but if it is – because there, there are lots of ways to solve the kinds of problems related to this, right? Um, and they are all hard problems, definitely. Like, scheduling is one of the most – like, it That's seems like it should be straightforward to <laughs> it's solve. A it's a fucking nightmare. So, like – It's if, difficult because of all the mutual exclusions yeah, and the, the – uh, It's really, really the sequential dependencies of everything. Yeah. Yeah. But if you already have a system that's made up of people doing manual stuff, right, then that works as a fallback for even a pretty shitty automatic system. You know what I mean? Like, a shitty automatic system that does most of it right – and then just fucks up now and then or just can't handle some edge cases or whatever, right? Like, yeah, you can shore up those edge cases so and much do, stuff, do stuff by hand in the meantime yeah. while you're trying so, to fix those edge cases. So it is it's absurd like, that they haven't just like really tried to fix that, you know? Yeah. I mean, my, my take on this too is for on the on the the theme for the year, the Jubilee side, is also the celebration aspect, which I think is what's missing from a lot of the ability of leadership typically, or if you look at these large public companies or whatever else, it's like, it's very hard to convince people to do something that seems like all it does is keep stuff going, right? Maintenance work is not sexy. Yes, it is, sounds sexy. To be because like, hey. nothing happens if you do it. Exactly. Because Which is about, the like, point would, of it. <laughs> yeah, what would likely happen in the case of Southwest had they uh, undergone like this actual internal transformation for the, from this tech standpoint, right? Um Maybe the case that they would have had to say, like, okay, you know what? We're going to not book any flights on this particular day so that yeah. the whole we can have the whole system 
like full. It's like a zany system. Clear, we're going to clear the system. Yeah. And it's like that, you know, how, you know exactly how much that would cost in that case, right? It's going to cost like X. Uh, that would be a lot, right? Yeah. Like a, that would probably be, because of course that also like, if they already can't handle scheduling stuff and even like. Scheduling a hole. Taking, yes. yeah, creating a hole yeah. in the schedule. Because that means also that things can't bleed into it from the day before or whatever, right? So, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like, you have this a very challenging. Investors would hate it. Yeah, investors hate <laughs> it. But I think also you know when you come to when you come to how you're selling the idea of what this is, I think part of the problem is that people typically look at it as keeping things going, as opposed to envisioning and describing the catastrophe, and then and then describing how this is going to result in that not happening. Because I think that's part of it. It's like you miss you're missing the catastrophe piece of it if all you're saying is like, oh yeah, maintenance is in the case like maintenance is boring work, right? But it's like it's not actually if you frame it in terms of what will happen in the case of the maintenance not being done. So for example, if you could have pitched this like, hey, we need to do this tech thing and everyone's like, yeah, but you know, this is working fine. It's, it's like working. no, this is working fine. It's like no, I want you to imagine a scenario which, uh, you know, is extremely likely based on the increasing amount of climate change stuff that we've been under. We've already seen uh, more cancellations this past year, and we know people are going to be traveling a lot over the holidays. It's highly likely we're going to have basically a system uh, stall point where everything system breaks collapse. Down. Yeah. If we do, even if it just happens for three or four or five days, uh, that's going to be like $800 million worth of damages, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you could, you could paint enough of a picture, I feel like to say that what you're doing is not maintenance work, which I agree is hard to sell, but instead is sort of a catastrophe avoidance. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. we could see a catastrophe coming and let's see if we could get it booked up. Well, so I, think I part like of the framing is, of anti-fragility, right? Yes. It's uh, because it sounds a lot better than like maintenance, as you said, but I think maintenance also, I think the, the frame that it carries is like keeping the thing as it is, but running, right? Yes. And this is literally the opposite of that, which is like, how do we transform the thing? And I think it's like with a billion dollars that they could oh, have spent God. instead, right? Yes. Give me a break. They could have found some really fucking smart people who – it would have been hard, would have been expensive, would have taken a bunch of really smart people, right? But they Wouldn't exist. $800 million dollars are hard. Yeah, a billion yeah. dollars of people time, <laughs> of smart people time, right? And they could have solved this problem without needing to like ground all the airplanes for a day or whatever, right? Like it would have been, it might have even taken like a year because they would have had to learn the ins and outs of all the regulations and all the unions. Like it would have been really hard. But for a billion dollars, for a billion dollars, you, you can build a fifteenth of a metaverse. I mean, you could do anything <laughs> for a billion dollars. You know? Uh, yeah, but I think my, my point is that when it comes to the jubilee side, of things, <laughs> I think it's important to both you you look at the uh, the the thing that you get to celebrate happening that did not occur, right? And I think when it does not occur. I think in the case of management leadership, even yourself, you have to take a beat and recognize that and celebrate that fact. You know, if it's it's the whole like it's the joke about the factory board that has like days since incidents. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, if like as long as it's kept at zero, you know, if it's if or as long as it's kept it, you know, kept growing. If it, that thing hits certain milestones, like why aren't you partying? Because it's huge. You know, like if you get if you went from being like, oh yeah, every two weeks, like someone loses an arm in our factory, <laughs> to being like, it's been three hundred days since anything has happened, since any arms lost. Yeah, but You've that's, that's party, you need you know? to you need to have ways to turn the lack of bad things happening yes. in into. A, a, a good metric thing. into yeah, a KPI. A good thing. Exactly. Yeah. The problem is you can't yeah. always see. Yeah, I, I agree. You got to find a way to like to 
to make it visible. But the problem is it, it can't always be made visible, like to match reality, right? As in like, Oh no, 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 no. you don't I know exactly that. what amount of like weather chaos, for example, is going to cause a full three day system shutdown yes. of Southwest, right? You can make some, you can make some models, you can make some predictions, you get kind of some like parameters on it. Right. But all the times they've like come really close, but like didn't get there. Right. Mm -hmm. Then you don't actually know, like if you fixed everything, like, did we prevent it from happening at this time, right? And I think that's why this stuff is like, it's like any, any of this kind of background work, when things work as intended and work well, then oh, you don't notice. people don't notice. They don't notice, yeah. the, they don't notice that bad things aren't happening. They just don't notice anything, <laughs> you know, just, yeah. yeah. Well, there's also, a, there's also a, a way to think about incentives, which is something that's kind of fucked up about airlines that I learned recently and I, I wish I didn't know it, is, <laughs> is that... The flight crew do not get paid until the plane is moving. So all the time that they spend getting people boarded and everything else is that unpaid time. That flight attendants. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucked up. <laughs> that can't be true. It, it, it's How? a thing. Uh, and it may, maybe not when the plane is moving, but like maybe it's once it's boarded. But whatever the case is, it's like all this time that they're spending like out in the airport doing all this stuff um, is not on the, on the airline's dime. Right. And so if, for example, they it's paid. Account their, is like uh, the same way that we think of. Um, it's like a commute commuting. basically. Like, yeah. like they're going to work guess, yeah. and their work is, you know, on the plane. Yeah. Right. I, I can um, see how until they get on, like step onto the plane. Yeah. Like I, I can yeah, see. I can see but, but if you think it's about it this up, way. But it shouldn't be that way, but I could see yeah. that being legal. But let's say, let's say like uh, Southwest paid their people for like the moment that they stepped into the airport. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and all the time that it's, that they spent like getting from flight to flight. And if there was a delay and they had to wait, you know, three extra hours just in the airport for their flight crew or whatever, they had to pay them for that entire duration. Then suddenly they have an incentive to minimize the number of delays because it's costing them in labor. But instead they've set it up where, where they actually, uh, doesn't cost the airline anything. They just offloaded the cost onto their employees to just yeah. wait around. Right? I mean, this is like, it's this common theme that we come to again and again, and it's true in game design. It's, and it's true in design of any system, which is if you don't design the incentive structure to match the desired outcome, you just get a different outcome. You get the one that matches the incentive structure that's in there, yes. not the one that you're wanting, right? And you, get, you just see that if you just look at any broken system and then do an incentive analysis and figure out like, what like what are, what is what are people encouraged to do by how this what are the costs designed, right? what are the benefits yeah you'll see that's what's happening game. like that's exactly that's what's happening just what's happening <laughs> it's, a, it's a question of who eats the cost is usually a, just a really good focusing one right because in most mm -hmm. cases where you have these systematic breakdowns that where companies don't care about particular things it seems crazy for them to not care about it's usually because. They've just offloaded the cost. yeah they've offloaded the costs either to like the cities that they are in the people who uh, work for them or some other entity entirely, right? Uh, so it's just, it's just sideways. Yeah. So that's, I mean, so that's what we want to think about. Uh, all these things coming into this upcoming year is, is as you're thinking about your, your life and your work and all the things that you're just going through, the things that you're trying to achieve, maybe you're in school, maybe you're having kids, maybe you're getting a new job, maybe you just want to do better at stuff that you're already doing. You know, or just have a better time, or you got some health stuff that you want to, you know, work on. Um, all this stuff is is really contingent upon paying close attention to what is actually happening 
and what are the probable failure points? You know, like what are the, how are things set up such that that you've actually only made it as far as you have because of luck, like Southwest Airlines, and and that you've actually in some cases. Uh, made some decisions or set some things up for yourself such that if just a few things go sideways, uh, then the the way that you've been doing things will not handle it well at all, right? Um, so you know, in our case, we're we're doing a lot of work on on tech debt and and developing better tools to cover a lot of the kinds of like failures in production processes and, and systems that we have in our studio. Um, we actually had some pretty big conversations this week about some new uh, production tools that we want to start working on. But it's all that kind of stuff of like recognizing when you start hitting recurring problems mm-hmm. and realizing that 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 might actually be like the the easiest to handle and lightest version of that problem and if things mm-hmm. get, went a little bit differently that may have been a fucking huge problem, yes. right? Um and just trying to like expand your awareness this year and and doing what you can to take the time to think about shoring those things up for yourself in whatever way, you know, in whatever way is feasible. Because yeah. of course you can't you can't you do this everything. with everything, yep. right? You can't control everything, and all of these things have a cost. You know, taking the time to develop these um, these solutions or, or making changes to things. Um, there's not infinite time, and you've got a triage, right? Uh, you can't do like what Southwest did, where they just fucking didn't, right? Like, <laughs> like they had so many internal memos for so long talking about how this is if this goes sideways, it's going to be real bad. Um, but all their incentives had been set up such that, you know, if they if they spent the money on this and then nothing happens, then people would be like, why the fuck do we spend all this money on this scheduling thing? Like, we yeah. don't have any scheduling problems as opposed to – it's great that we spent all this money on this scheduling thing because now we don't have any scheduling problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to make sure that you, f- that you frame it well and that you set up the incentives well so that, that – your success in staying ahead of these things um, is noticeable, is, is noticeable and, and obvious. You yeah, know? with the clear, I mean, clearing most kinds of of debt, technical debt, emotional debt, you know, like any any of these things. Um, it is true that it prevents these like big explosions, right? And that's what people focus on. But it's also true that it just makes every moment better too. You yes. know, because like if like pilots of Southwest didn't have to call every time something went slightly awry. Didn't have to like call a person and wait a while until they could get it sorted out manually, right? Um, every moment of their work lives would be easier to manage and better, right? Mm-hmm. And so you can actually, you can convert most of these things into like, how does this impact like what your day would have been like even outside of disasters, right? And I think that's that's the thing, like as a person who really focuses on tool development, like that's what I always think about is, is optimizing for the moment-to-moment actual experience of living, working, you know, whatever, right? And uh, and doing things that make those moments just always better. Because in doing that, even if the focus is like on trying to prevent some really huge disaster, you're just making everything better. Because like otherwise, everything is just a really long-form, slow disaster, you know, versus yes. yeah. you're just accumulating yeah. kind of shitty Wasting stuff. Wasting 10,000 pilots – Time every single day is also gross. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's not good. Not, <laughs> not do that too. That's not great. good at all. Yeah, so like kind it's of ten minutes doesn't yeah, matter. No matter how small. Scale. Yeah, no matter how small the the seeming annoyance is, you know, it's if it makes every day a little better. And people, again, people like focus on well, how much time does it save though? Who cares? It doesn't it's not about time. It's about the your actual experience of quality of, of life. doing stuff. Yeah, it's about yeah. quality of life. So like, what can you do? You know. Yeah, I, to, we should uh, also say if you have the power to forgive other people's debts, 
then you should also definitely do that. Yeah. Just yeah. therapy. Just, you know what just, I mean? just like, uh, even, <laughs> just like uh, you know, even if it's a, something as simple as, you know, a grudge, which is just a debt, right? It's like, not good for a you. Gr- yeah. A grudge is you just being like, I'm going to like spend some, I'm going to spend some of my precious cognitive power. I'm going to mm-hmm. spend precious time and brain power just like being mad at this person and thinking about this person. That doesn't mean you have to like them. Doesn't mean you have to forgive whatever happened, but it'll still be good if you could find a way to. Because because it has it has happened, right? It's a sunk cost. Everything going forward uh, will not undo whatever that grudge is about, right? Because that's a thing that happened. You know, just 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 clear it, get it. Just which I, I say, just might take some therapy. Might take some other. Yeah. <laughs> might it's take it's some it, other yeah. things. It's a lot of hard. But work. That's the thing with all these. They're all a lot of hard. Clearing work, debts is that's why is, we don't do it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right, well, you guys want to get into a question or two to round yeah. out the first episode of, I guess, first episode we are recording in 2023. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, these questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. And the highest upvoted question comes from inside the house. <gasps> Bscotch Carl. Bscotch Carl says, what Easter eggs or references have you put into your games that got overlooked that you really want the world to acknowledge or know about? Ooh. I probably don't remember most of them at this point. The only one I really remember is the gnomes in yeah. Crashlands, which were an homage to uh, Half-Life, Half-Life 2. 2. Yeah. yeah, Which really was an homage to Adam's playthrough of Half-Life, because you were the one who actually did the gnome run. I did the – yeah, I did the – because yeah, there was an achievement. In a, and so Half-Life 2 came out. That was when – was that when Steam launched? Well, Steam launched as a uh, it's in as a as patch for Half Life for Half Life Two yeah, in two thousand four. Yeah. yeah, so back in two thousand four, yeah. a million in years 2004. ago. I know this because my Steam account is from the week that Steam yeah, came just, into existence. <laughs> yeah, for November two thousand four. And so, so I'd already played. Half-Life 2 all, all the way through. I just fucking loved it. It's, it's one of my favorite games of all time. I haven't played it recently enough to know if that's still true, but I replayed it probably like six years ago or something, and it was still fucking still top-notch. holds up. So good. Uh, but yeah, so I had I'd played through, and I saw, and I'd like, and this is like Steam had achievements, you know, like all these kinds of things were like new to this ecosystem. And so I was, that was still when achievements were fun. And so I was like trying to completionist through them, you know, mm-hmm. and one of them was just called little rocket man. And, uh, and it's basically, it's, it's just like carry the no, it's like launch the gnome in the rocket or whatever. Right. It's like the very end of the game, very, very end. There's a rocket that you shoot up or that you launch. Like that's it. Right. But the very, very beginning of the game, if you look under, I think it's like the, like a bed or something, like a cot or something. You like if you look under it, there's a little gnome, like a lawn statue, gnome. like a lawn gnome under there. And it's like pretty good size, like like a oh, two yeah, foot tall kind of a deal, you yeah. know. And you could pick it up because that was the first game where you could just like pick everything up. It was one of the time. first mainstream games that had physics, like a physics yeah, engine, good physics, where yeah. objects actually could like roll around and had like weight to them and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, it, it, it literally changed the, like the landscape of games, right? Yeah. And so we just like, you would like when you, if you were there around at that time, you would just pick up stuff for fun because you were like, what the fuck? I can just pick this up. You I know? can just mm-hmm. carry this yeah. gnome around. And, like, <laughs> and then they like introduced the graph gun. Like the whole game is basically just playing with physics, right? Uh, but anyway, so like you pick up this gnome and like it, it includes a lot of your view. Because it's pretty big. And while you're holding it, you can't, I mean, you can run. You got a gun. And you can walk, but yeah, all your, your weapons are stowed, you know. And so. <laughs> and it have, if, you, have if these, an explosion goes off near it and it's on the yeah, ground, it'll get it. flung, you know. Yep. 
And <laughs> and like and there 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 are parts of the game where you're like in a little buggy, right? And there's not like a like a place to put the gnome, right? So you have to like kind of try to bounce, and it's, it's physics, right? So you have to like try to bounce it kind on the back it. or like somewhere, you know, <laughs> wedge and then it drive, and then it'll nook. fall off after a while, you know. It's like so it's so it's this bizarre experience of like trying to keep track and like carry this gnome through these just wild circumstances. Um, like the ant lion plate, like just, there's just like so much happening. You're just like wheeling this gnome the whole time, um, which was also very fun and hilarious of an experience. And so I did it. It was like, it's like, it's probably the only like truly hard achievement that I actually like have done in a game and like really wanted to do. And then was so pumped when I finished it, you know, like, put, cause the very end, you just like put him in the top capsule of the, of the rocket, you know? Yep. And, uh, and it was like, oh, achievement unlocked. Uh, <laughs> but it was a blast. But yeah, so that, so that gnome, like, you know, not many people have, have, like, done that for obvious reasons. But I think, because I think I didn't even really know, like, I had seen it, but it wasn't until I saw an article on something that was somebody was describing their experience trying to do it. And I was like, oh, I need to do this, you know. This just seems fun. Um, yeah. So, so kind of everybody who was into Half-Life 2 knew about it. And, and so the gnome has then been this kind of, like, Kind of, it's almost, it's kind of a deep cut, like video game. It's a real deep cut, yeah. (laughs) Uh, But not as deep as it could have been, um, but still pretty deep cut. And so we were like, oh, what if we have gnomes that like, we find something you can do with them, like at the end of the game, but we don't draw attention to them. They're just there. Yeah. Development was challenging enough that we actually couldn't figure out. (laughs) We had a lot of discussions about potentially what to do with the gnomes. There's five of them, I believe. There's five five, gnomes. One in space that starts on the ship, which you can pick up or not. A lot of people don't. They're called genomes because like in Half-Life 2, there's the G-Man. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's the genome. Uh, So the idea was that once you get all of them, that we were going to do something, but then we didn't have time to actually do that. So that's like a failed Easter egg, I guess. But they're all in there. They're all in there. You can find them. Yeah. Well, we didn't. We didn't have a robust enough, you know, content development pipeline in yep. Crashlands to make it possible to easily like add some new. Like we had, we talked about, like, oh man, what if there was a place in the world? Yeah. That you had to just like kind of come across, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That you had to place each of the gnomes in a specific spot, and then like it would summon some kind of a giant gnome demon thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, we had we had ideas like that, uh, but then, you know, like we talked about it in these past few months on the on the podcast, uh, every problem was a programmer problem, yeah. and uh, we didn't have a, a no code content delivery system, and as a result, uh, and also we didn't have QA. So yeah. most of my time leading up toward launch was just fixing bugs. Just all I was doing was fixing bugs and, and trying not the, to introduce more in the process. Of yeah, and for the six weeks. Post-launch, also fixing bugs. Yep. And so the idea of, like, pausing that to add some kind of a gnome demon thing that, like, 0.01% of players yeah. might ever even know <laughs> about, it was like, no. I think my, do that. my favorite not Easter egg that I read, uh, people, some people thought was Easter egg, is in Crash, the original Crashlands, there's a boss in the second bio who is, like, spookily described by the Brubus aliens who live there, and they're terrified of it. And then they like never speak its name. And then finally they reveal its name and its name is Jessica, which oh, yeah. we thought was just hilarious. And they're like, all Jessica's commenting about name. how like how horrible of a sound it is. Like the yeah. name is just like an evil sounding mm-hmm. yeah. set Horrified. of noises. Yeah. Alien strange name. Because the Brubus have all sorts of insane names. We thought it was a funny, you know, 
basically joke and commentary on the fact that you yeah. use different sounding yeah. languages. Yeah, cause, cause also because like obviously like Jessica's a name is like it's just a regular a name. Regular it's name. Regular <laughs> pretty name. We have no yeah, it's a great name. We have so no that, we have yeah, no so opinions that was about the joke, it. But people yeah. didn't understand that that was the joke. Yeah, so it's like there's a thread where people were like, is there some like ex girlfriend here of one of these developers? It's this indie uh, studio <laughs> that was like so weird. And I was like, oh damn it! Like no, you guys, it's fun. Nah. It's, it's just yeah. fun. It's not like a weird. It's thing. just it's just that was the joke. It was like, it's just a regular ass name. Yep. Yes. Yeah, it's That's like when joke. you have a dog named George, you know? That's oh, yeah. just, just hilarious because great. dogs aren't supposed to be named George, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we could have named it Steve or, you know, Harold or like, it, you mm-hmm. know, it could have been, we just wanted it to be like a name that, that most of the people playing our games would just understand is just like a very common, unassuming name, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, as opposed to like Voldemort, yep. which is clearly a no name name that's like already set up to kind of sound evil, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, all right, let's hit one last quick question. Let's do it. Uh, from Biggie Baba Boop who says, it seems to me that your games mostly fall into the sci-fi category, at least in theming. Uh, and of course, there's a point to be made about the boundaries being so blurry to be meaningless in some cases. Was this seeming sci-fi bent an intentional choice? Why do you think you went in that direction? I think sci-fi fantasy allows you to just do whatever you want. Uh, and so I think given where, especially on the art side, where our capabilities started, which was not I wouldn't say I had a lot of control <laughs> early on in terms of like what was going to come out. And so I think that meant that being able to have super hard edged, you know, tech stuff in the cases where that was kind of what came out. And then also having really strange, fantastical creatures in the cases where that came out. Nothing was nothing was very much trying to be anything. And so I think naturally... That lends its, itself to a more fantastical sort of a yeah. bent in terms of I the think, stuff that gets made. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna make a statement here that's very broad, Do which it. is video games are inherently sci-fi fantasy. Mm-hmm. Because what is sci-fi fantasy? So of course it's two categories like they blend together, sure, right? And things can kind of go really hard in one direction or the other. But at root what they are about is imagining an alternate reality where the rules are different, some subset, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's basically what a video game has to be because a video game is, at its root, a simulation of mm-hmm. a world, right? And if, if you're in like puzzle games and stuff where there aren't like characters and things, that's kind of a different category. But for things where there's like characters that interact with each other that do stuff, right? Um, you're basically simulating a reality and it has to be different from the real one because mm-hmm. we can't accurately simulate it. But also it's not that interesting if you do. If you get all the way to a fully accurate simulation, you know, then that's just what the just world go is outside. like. Just go outside. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think – In this simulation, you have to work eight hours a day and you've got bills and a family. And, yeah. You know, it's, we've exactly recreated real life. Yeah. But even, <laughs> yeah. But even take like, like Overcooked – the, the game, right? Mm-hmm. Which like, if you look like first blush, you look at that, you're like, like I wouldn't call that sci-fi fantasy, right? But it actually does tick the boxes of like, of it's like, it's basically it's using magic, 
It's yeah. fantastical, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you're using all these contraptions that let you cook food basically instantly. You can like convert the same kinds of foods somehow into like completely new outcomes, right? You're basically casting spells as you as you play this game, and you're doing it in like bizarre landscapes and stuff, right? As you're yeah, doing I think this. I think well, that's true. I think there is there is a lot of power in in choosing and adhering to a particular uh, theme in the language, like the visual language associated oh, yeah, with definitely. that. I think about like a uh, uh, Cult of the Lamb, which I played recently, really liked. Um, mm -hmm. 80s. There's a lot of these where I think the the challenging part about the theme choosing a theme is basically a resonance problem. And you see this like there's there's typically like a zeitgeist thing going on where for a while there was like a, just a shitload of pirate games. Do you guys remember that? There's like four <laughs> years just pirates. Mm -hmm. yep. Everyone was doing pirates, and then it was, it was uh, zombies for yep. about five years, and then it was pirates and, for a few more yep. years. And still, we're still in the zombie tale where that just keeps on. And there is that game called Space Pirates and Zombies, which kind of came out mm -hmm. around the sort of Venn diagram yep, midpoint of those of those two trends. Yeah, uh, and then there's there's like a vampires theme that you can run with. So there's there's I think there's a lot of excitement in or Vikings like Vikings. I feel like were a big thing for a bit. Uh, I think the challenge is that some of those themes do they're, they're, they have a long lat. The reason they're interesting is because they constrain your well your focus a little bit, but they also give you an audience to start with, right? There, you know, people who show up to buy a game know that they like sci-fi or that they like you know Hogwarts style like magical land stuff or whatever, and so you're kind of picking an audience who naturally seems like maybe they either fit thematically or where the contrast between some of the themes that you're Picking creates a lot of interest, sort of no matter what. Um, and so I think for for a while now, now that I feel like I can actually do specific things on purpose <laughs> when I'm making art, I've I have wanted to have something that's a bit more hard themed because I think it's it's interesting to explore what happens in those spaces where you have a game design that meets up against a theme and how you have because you basically have to interpret certain parts of a game through the theme you've chosen. So in the case like V Rising, which is vampires. Vampires, but, you know, survival crafting is like, what does a vampire need to do to survive? It's like, well, you got to dodge sunlight and you got to uh, not get drink hit blood. silver and you got to drink blood. And so it's fun because you merge these, you merge a genre with a theme. And then naturally between those, you kind of, there's some potential, I think, for, for interesting mechanics to show up. I think the places where it gets to me is kind of boring is where they're almost too well matched, if that makes sense, where it's like, like Wild West shooters. And like army shooters is just like so, they're so congruent. You kind of know, you know what you, well, I mean, it's it's a question of like, you know what you're going to get. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, well, I mean, if I'm going to play gonna Call come, of Duty, it's like, all right, it's it's war. Yeah, yeah. It's when I think, when I think about like, uh, like V Rising, <laughs> you know, it's like you, I don't think you would get under basically any other theme slash genre combo, certain mechanics that you see that naturally feel like they make a lot of sense and then are all congruent together in that particular case. Like hunting down entities in the world and like drinking their blood. <laughs> but even like some other form of that I hate, doesn't exist in any other kind of crafting survival game. And it's because of the marriage of the two. Right. You get this really interesting new thing. So I think that's where it comes together yeah. to be really wonderful. I think the places where it to me is, is maybe a little boring is just like where they're, you just get exactly what you thought you would get or get on the tin. And it doesn't really push it, push it genre wise. Well, too much. I think it kind of, it kind of depends. Like I always have a problem with science fiction as a category because it's, it's literally just fantasy. It's either fantasy in space or fantasy yes. in the future. Yeah. And there's literally no science. Like, mm -hmm. Where's the science in Star Wars? Where's the science in Star Trek? You know, they're just like, we can travel faster than the speed of light and we've got force fields and we're not going to explain 
or have any plot themes about the science behind it. But we're going to wrap it in metal, which means gonna, that you're going to think that it works the way that your world works and we'll be good to go. Yeah. Right? And to me, that's no that's no different than casting back in time and putting dragons in a medieval setting. Like you've just taken you've just taken a, a point in time and you've added some kind of a fantasy element to it. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you go into the future and add laser guns, it's like, all right, now it's sci-fi. No, it's just fantasy. It's just future fantasy or space fantasy. It has the trappings of what we think of as science. science. Right? It looks like yeah. science, but it's fantasy, basically. Yeah, and so I would say, like, our, our games are, are fantasy games. Like, they just take place on alien planets. They have lots of robots and stuff. But there is not, there is not a shred of science <laughs> in these games. <laughs> but there's the trappings uh, of it. Yeah, it looks like it because there's metal. Yeah, so I would yeah. say, like, Kerbal Space Program is a science fiction game. That's true. Yeah, I, I right on there. Mm-hmm. Um, in that there's some science it. in it, but it's all yeah, but it's and also definitely science. a fantasy game, right? Because you've also well, got, that's well, that's the, yeah. that's the fiction part, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's like it's like the the gameplay is built around stuff that we have found out from science. So they have like mass and velocity and like things behaving differently in vacuum versus you know, and they've taken a lot of these scientific concepts, um, and then they've added a layer of fiction on top of it to make it into a playable game. And to me, it's like, yeah, science fiction, right? <laughs> or The Expanse, you know, yeah. um, where they've got like a lot of the plot de- the plot moments and important uh, like cultures and character developments have everything to do with, with the scientific aspects of what space travel probably be like. will be like in a couple hundred years once – the, the tech is able to, to do that stuff, right? Right, but it hinges um, on the invention of an imaginary technology that has no basis in science as we know it, right? Which is right. the ability for them to basically accelerate without it costing, I guess, without bound, without it being really expensive to do so, right? right? right. Yeah, um, well, it's, it, well it's, it, it attempts to have a basis. You know, they, they try to base it in the idea of like a, of nuclear fusion, right? Which at the moment is a technology that we are just barely getting a handle on sort of like how to even get it started, let alone some hand use it for stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so they're like, you know, we know that this is a tech that can produce just an incredible amount of energy. And if somehow we could use that to power rockets, then maybe they could go, you know, really far. Yeah. I, um, I personally think that, uh, I think themes are a really powerful tool. Like really when you get down, like what is this kind of like, what is one of these themes, whether it's sci-fi, fantasy, vampires, zombies, whatever. It's almost like, it's almost like licensing an IP, but from the public domain, you know what I mean? Where it's like you get access to a whole set of things that- A bunch of tropes, basically. Yeah, that people already <laughs> like or that they're already into or that they already understand certain rules about, yeah, which well, can make yeah, them way the more excited. buy-in and yeah. the expectations, right? Because like the, the fact that when I was playing V Rising um, and like I killed some uh, bandit or something- and he tried, and I was just picking up the loot, you know, because like you usually do. And all of a sudden, I just started to like be like burning. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And then I saw some message somewhere that said something about like silver damage. Or I can't remember what it was, right? But I opened up my inventory and I just picked up his silver coins, right? But because they were in my inventory, they were burning me because I'm a vampire, right? I don't even know if there's like any other reason to have silver in that game because but as far as I played it, there never was like for the first 12 hours, right? Probably at some point you can carry silver for some reason. You know, I don't know. But I was so delighted mm-hmm. by that fact because, because like, because I was bought into the idea of vampires, right? And like I had my expectations set about like, oh, this is vampire stuff, right? So that they can then do something. Because like, imagine like, imagine any other context. You like put some silver in your pocket and then like it starts to burn you, you know? 
Why? Now you have to explain what the fuck is this about? Yeah. And I think, to me, it's like the source of explanations, right? Is if you're in a, if you're in like a, like a fantasy context, the way that we think about it, the explanation is basically like, oh, it's magic, right? So like, there's a, that's the core buy-in is that there's like magic involved with explaining why things are the way that they are. And with sci-fi, it's like, oh, it's some kind of science. Like, it's like, it's real. It's based in reality. Just maybe something that doesn't exist yet or whatever, right? And that's the buy-in. And whichever one of these, and so I think for for me, what I, I like, I like to push towards like the sci-fi buy-in because I like the reasons. I like being able to point at reasons, even if they're like we have our Infinisuit, suit, right? Where we're just like flux wears an infinite suit. It has a wormhole pocket, right? That, that's where all the stuff like, goes. That's where all the stuff goes, right? Like that doesn't fucking mean anything. It's just magic, right? But it has like the trappings of like, oh, we've controlled some real aspect of nature, you know, which yeah. is. Well, it's, and it's also our way of explaining like in, in games and in other survival games and crafting games, inventory is a huge problem, right? Yeah. And we're like, how, how do we make a game that both mechanically solves that problem, but also thematically solves that problem? Because it doesn't, it's never made sense, for example, in the Fallout games where you can carry 300 fucking pounds of stuff <laughs> And you can just run at a dead sprint through the desert, mm-hmm. no problem. But you do eventually get overburdened, and, all, and well, exactly. all of a sudden it's, you put in one like toothpick, and you're like, "Oh, I'm so slow now." It's the yeah, it's, it's, right the, it's the three hundred and first yep. pound that you can no longer handle, right? Yep. And it's like, uh, and if they wanted to make it more realistic, it'd be like, "Oh, you just will like progressively move slower." Uh, and have less stamina for sprinting and whatever for every pound, right? Which, but by that's the way, act- feels like shit to play. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's just terrible. reality. <laughs> right? <laughs> but you know what's also terrible? That 301st pound, that also <laughs> yeah. sucks, right? It's like, so they basically just sort of like kicked the can on having it feel terrible while still trying to make it seem like yeah. there's some basis in reality, like your character can only carry so much so stuff. This is what I mean in terms right? of like the power of these themes, right? Which is that if, if Crashlands was actually... You know, not Crashlands, but was themed in like more of a uh, kind of hard-edged, say, medieval zone or something like that, where there was no magic, right? Uh, just people, like bandits and shit. Then you don't you don't naturally have an easy way to on the design side on the design side to reach for. There's certain things that certain affordances that a theme gives you, right? Or certain ways that you can come up with. Well, because you can't provide, I guess, bind. You can't provide an explanation for why it's like, oh, you're you're playing an, an army simulator, but you have you can carry infinite stuff, you know? Because yeah. like, because we wanted you to, because it's a better gameplay experience. But but that's an obvious thing where like the reality breaks down, and without having something we can just reach for, that's a easy buy-in. Then it could, and I think, this, and to me, this is why like the trappings of sci-fi are my preferred way rather than fantasy because. Mm-hmm. Fantasy is actually way too diverse because it has literally no rules. Like the magic has no rules, right? So when you say because magic, that is it's not satisfying. Which means that if you want to actually make it satisfying, you have to explain the magic. Yeah, you got to right? build up a system. In which case, it's just another kind of science. Just exactly, yeah. just another kind of science. <laughs> yeah. So but if you take the trappings of sci-fi, you get to take things that people are generally familiar with as a concept because it's just, it's like vampires. Yep. Right. Timid. We're familiar with the idea that garlic and silver hurt vampires. We're also familiar mm-hmm. with the idea that like wormholes are a thing, I guess. And like it has something mm-hmm. to do with black holes and like some laser people beams think are cool. you can like tra- – you could use them to go places or something. Yeah, like mm-hmm. laser beams exist and like we know if they get really hot, you can burn shit with them, right? So like you get to take all of this stuff that you can then bring into a magical uh, domain. Like and make it – take it well beyond the bounds of what is even remotely the actual science, Right. 
And so that it is just magic, but it's actually we've provided the rule set for the magic. So that now we get to just say, or like take <laughs> like level head. We needed reasons for why this robot exists, right? And they're like, oh, okay, well, that's easy. Like people are making robots because corporations are doing weird stuff. They need to deliver things. Because like, we're like, why are you going through obstacle courses? Oh, like if you're delivering things, that could be challenging if you have to get through obstacle mm -hmm. courses or whatever, right? So like we're coming up with a reason. It's like, okay, well, now where are these taking place? Where are these levels, right? And it's like, oh, well, uh, I guess we have to like get you. So then we come up with like the, the intergalactic rail gun. That's like mm -hmm. how packages get delivered in this universe where they just like take GR18 with a package, put just it in a rail it. gun. <laughs> right? And like, it's so again, like people have the concept of a rail gun, right? And all they know is that that means the thing goes really fast. So that we just yep. like, Oh, goes at light speed, which is like now all of a sudden impossible. Right. But people know that light speed is fast. Yep. You no. Know? <laughs> right. And so mm -hmm. we, we can basically take all of these things. And again, just actually now it's magic again, but we get to use an already existing rule set. And I think that's where sci-fi, like, that's where we have that advantage is we don't have to explain it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, that's our preferred area. And, and and sometimes we do get lazy and just go the magic route, you know, when it comes to things like juice. Or we've intentionally left it such that uh, that it's a versatile plot device that we can deploy <laughs> as needed. Sometimes it's but like it's a high it's power an energy, energy source. source. Yeah, like yeah. that's the main thing is being an energy source. So like, yeah, you know, the, uh, yeah, the other thing you get to reach on with like, which is true to sci-fi and like more pure fantasy, right? Is like elder civilization. You can just always reach for that shit where they're just doing oh, things yeah. that are basically magic because you can just say, we have no idea how any of this works. But if it's in like the sci-fi context, you're like, oh, it's because they were like, they just figured out a whole bunch of shit, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, that's the explanation. And if it's in yeah. fantasy, it's like, well, we're already in a magical place. Like, there already aren't any rules, you know? Like, why? Yep. And so now, again, you have to, like, construct all the rules. Um, yeah. But I, I think, yeah, for me, where, where things kind of fall apart with magic is, is like, I I was a big fan of Harry Potter for a while, but the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, none of this is, none of this makes any sense. Yeah, yeah the, the, the rules are too... They're all way too convenient. My favorite yeah. magic world is and remains Magica. Where they have AK-47. Yeah, they have guns. They have a game where you, you have different – there's a very simple rule set, but you have different kinds of elements. There's like five elements. You can deploy them in different ways. So you can shoot like a rock as a projectile. If you do that with like ice, then it fires like an ice shard. You can do things as beams or you can do things like AOE. And then as you mix them together – then like wacky shit. You can make steam by putting fire and water together. Uh, like all sorts of goofy stuff starts happening. And then you just have a staff or a sword or an AK-47. They don't care. They put, they were like guns exist. Why not? And then it was just, it's a very strict it's, system, but it works. I love it. Yeah. Very good. Well, yeah. I think, I mean, I think any fiction that has any fantasy fiction that has sufficiently well uh, thought through magical mechanics, right? Where, Everything is consistent with those. The world is like built in a way that makes sense. Because the other part of like that all these fall apart is like they take a current point in his, or like they take a point in like a history as we understand it, and they're like, now but magic, magic exists there. But it's like, well, how do we end up in that? How do we end up in eighteen hundreds fucking London? You know, right? Yep. If how does London exist? Yeah. So, so there's <laughs> if like magic exists. Yeah, but but play, but things were like the whole thing is like really well thought out, so that like the whole thing makes sense given that rule set. To me, it actually, just brings you back into sci-fi again right even if like it's magic systems and so on right because if it's all if it all has like because like the all that science is is like the rules that govern the world right and like figuring them out and if the rules that govern your world are what we would call in our world magic 
in that other world, that's just fine. Style, shit. You know? yeah. So I think to me, it's actually the key to all of this is like, you need to have reasons for stuff being the way that it is. And when we're making games, like back to the idea that like all of games are fantasy and, and actually that also sci-fi because like there are reasons that games are the way they are, which all have to do with like the technical components and all the constraints mm-hmm. involved. And as Sam, as you said, if we can put, if we can then add cheap and effective buy-in mm-hmm. by adding more trappings from some like well-established rule system basically of magic or sci-fi or whatever, then we don't have to explain. No. And you got to grab back still buy in. other interesting solutions yeah. for stuff too, right? Yeah. It's great. I think yeah. it's great. It's a great thing. Yeah. To do. So basically we landed there because, you know, convenience, mm-hmm. it's fun, it's easy, mm-hmm. we can do a lot with it. And also it sort of reinforces our desire to like still have some explanations for some things, yeah. you know, that are internally consistent. Oh well, yeah, I think sci-fi, like, like actually like intentionally saying, oh, I'm like in the sci-fi space is also good for that because it makes you feel like you're supposed to have reasons, you know? Even if they're still really hand wavy, because I think the right. the thing that you can and certainly like the the less good like stories and stuff from fantasy are the ones where basically are just like oh well because magic right and just like literally anything can happen and the answer the explanation is always 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 deeply unsatisfying because it actually isn't you know doesn't yeah. even pretend to be an explanation like I remember reading about people debating about why Hogwarts has bathrooms <laughs> you know if you want to if you want to go on a ride look up. Look, look that up because that's an interesting uh, online debate. Because <laughs> by all, by all, you know, rationale, if wizards can just teleport and vanish things, um, why, why is there a bathroom with mm-hmm. with plumbing? You know, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, anyways, that's all the time we have uh, for this week for the first episode of Twenty Jubilee. Stay ahead of it. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Sampa DaCosta, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the podcast archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.